Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Debunking Economics podcast, episode 12. I'm Phil Dobby, and today we talk to Professor Steve Keen about productivity. It's a problem, it seems. We're not as productive as we once were. Well, certainly the rate of improvement is slowing down despite all the innovation and technology we have today. Maybe it's because we're spending all our working time on Facebook or listening to podcasts, perhaps. Um, it, over time, it has risen, of course, but lately it's leveled off, even started to slide. Uh, yet we need it to keep increasing if we're to enjoy the same living standard, particularly as countries where people are getting older mean there's less people in the workforce. Uh, so productivity, it varies enormously as well from country to country uh, figures this with this year very recently are showing that in the UK workers take five days to achieve what can be done in Germany in four days slackers so let's have a look at the importance of productivity with Steve Keen and let's look at two things first of all Steve uh, first of all let's look at how it's measured because I, I think that is relatively straightforward uh, and then and also why is productivity so important and can we expect it to always keep on increasing i mean we, we're, we're seeing it's not increasing now and we're seeing that as, as a problem but let's look at the measurement first of all well the, the simplest way to measure it is we basically say how many how many bits of stuff do we produce per human yeah that's that's the ultimate measure of productivity and so you divide the amount of output by the population to get uh, gdp per head Right, and, that, and then, that, that makes perfect sense in the days of the Industrial Revolution where we, we, where we were all making stuff, physical stuff in factories. Is it, is it still a valid measure today? Well, that is why it gets complicated um, for many, other, many reasons apart from that because when you then say, well, how do we measure, for example, the output of the financial sector? Mm. What does it produce? Yeah. Well, it doesn't produce anything in a physical sense. Uh, so what they do is to measure up the productivity of the, of the of the financial sector, they simply are the wages being paid and the bonuses being paid. Right. Now, okay. That is completely. I mean, my good friend Michael Hudson is, is always railing about this and saying that uh, where we we where we measure the so-called productivity of the financial sector implies we're getting growth out of them. In fact, we're getting is an increasing burden on the rest of us. Yeah, so, but I mean, you could you could apply that to a greater or lesser degree uh, for anything that's for any service industry, though, couldn't you? Where you know we're, we're talking manufacturing versus services, basically. Yeah, well, and then that's the whole ha hassle that we, 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 as we've had a decline in the number of workers in agriculture who produce, you know, you know turnips per person can be used as an accurate measure, uh, and we're declining in the number of, of workers. So steel output per worker is an accurate measure that's also becoming less relevant. When you get to the stage you've got more hairdressers, uh, you know, you can actually count haircuts. That's that's a reasonable one to some extent. Uh, but when you talk about service workers in general. Then all you can do is add up their wages. Right. And but that's and a fair, you, but that's a fair enough measure, isn't it? I mean, they're making money, however they're making it, whether they're a bank manager or a uh, or or slightly more qualified than their hairdressers. The um, <laughs> to um, I mean that that's fair enough because they're making that money. That money is being spent in the economy. It's adding to to, mm -hmm. to to growth. That there's nothing wrong with that, is there? 
Well, there's, there's an, I think there's an essential to get a monetary measure of the economy. That's one thing I'm, I'm very emphatic about. So uh, I don't like the fact that, for example, a lot of the so-called real GDP figures are derived by applying what are called hedonic indexes to various products. Hedonic means how much pleasure you get out of something. And they say, well, look, a modern computer is so much more pleasurable than an old computer, so much more productive. So we're going to multiply its... Uh, it's uh, a, 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 a multiply the number of computers uh, compared, say, 1960 to now. We multiply the number of computers by 120 to get a measure between the two. It's not that extreme a number, but nonetheless, those sorts of manipulations are done to go from the, the nominal monetary data I think we absolutely have to record accurately to what they call the real GDP. Right. But then that sounds so arbitrary. That would be like saying, well, okay, let's measure hair, haircuts and let's not just look at how much the hairdresser's making. Let's look at whether they uh, give you a, a head massage as well and you feel good about that. Yeah, I know. And it's, it, 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 it seems sensible because it is true that a modern computer is more productive than an old computer. Uh, but uh, it... To me, it distorts the financial record we're trying to keep as well. Mm. And that's one reason that I... Because, uh, because when it comes to calculations for nominal GDP, they simply do add up all the dollars. But when it comes to what they call real GDP, where they apply what have been called price deflators, they also apply hedonic indexes to a, a number of industries, including the computer trade, to modify the number that comes out the other side. So you get this very messy measure of what the actual level of productivity is versus uh, the fairly accurate recording of what actually the monetary transactions are. Right. So in reality, though, do we need that? Because if uh, if a company is able to pay people more, uh, it must be being more productive using however it got there, you know, using uh, equipment which is more efficient, for example. Um, surely it all comes out in the wash anyway. Well, that's when, one of my one of my uh, friends is a mathematical biologist. Once said that economics is the only profession that adds up all its assets and liabilities together and calls that GDP. <laughs> okay. Now, in in fact, if you want to get it in a genuine sense, GDP is gross. There's a very good reason why you use the gross because if you look at what net income is, it's zero. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the, the the sum of all net incomes is zero. It, uh, because you know my income includes is the gap between my costs and my 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 revenue. Yeah. Um, when you look across the the whole of the of the, the world, those those uh, your expenditure is equal to your income in that sense. Uh, so you find there's a zero there. You add up all the zeros, you get zero. So you've got to, the gross calculation makes sense to work out what the actual size of the whole system is. But at the same time, we add a, we we want to measure. Uh, take one step away from the financial stuff and say, what is the actual measure of how well off we are? Then what we do is, like, you know, a car crash adds to GDP. Um, and equally, a bank adds to GDP in terms of, a, you know, a financial sector's funding Ponzi schemes uh, and paying themselves huge bonuses and salaries. That gets added to GDP. Mm. So in terms of getting going from the measure of the monetary transactions to measure of the level of well-being we experience, and we have a very serious set of distortions turning up there. Yeah. And so getting back to that word productivity, I mean, what do we mean by that then? Because, I mean, on the one side, you, you think of productivity, are we doing more with less? And uh, uh, and you've just given the point there, uh, you know, a car crash might be good for the economy, uh, not very good for those people involved, and we're not, and, it, and it's not that constructive. Yeah, yeah. And so there are various attempts for people to build what they call, you know, human welfare indexes, 
Uh, Bhutan apparently uh, manages its economy by looking at a an index of human welfare, which which actually treats things like car accidents as negatives rather than positives, right. and then measures that growth over time. So if you actually want to go from the, the raw numerical monetary data, which we need to know accurately as well, to some measure of human welfare, then GDP is not a good way to go. And then okay. when you measure GDP per head, of course, you've got all these distortions of adding and things which are costs as part of the part of the benefits. So uh, all of that gets very complicated though doesn't it and you you know you're starting to look at sophisticated models and you and you're looking at the question of what makes us happy rather than that that fundamental question of productivity let's look let's look at the economist definition of productivity as it stands why are we so uh, madly keen to see that that keeps on increasing i mean we you know politicians are all saying all around the world we've got a real issue in this country as though it's unique in their country but it seems to be in every country uh the productivity is on the slide why is it so important that they see it increase well, that's it, it is a political issue to this as well, and that is that if you've got a, a rising level of output per head, you can say, don't worry about how it's distributed. Let's just make it continue increasing more. Ignore the distribution of that income. And, of course, that's been the mantra that, of neoliberalism for a long, long time, that uh, don't worry about this, the size of the, the – this, this, divvy up of the cake, let's make the cake grow faster. Mm. That's, that's really been the argument. Now, in that process, uh, it really is true that the workers – and the American working class have been screwed by this because their jobs have been sent overseas, their wages have been reduced by breaking unions even more than they were broken uh, 30 years ago in America, and consequently they're getting less of the share of a pie which is actually not growing all that much. Right. Um, so, but, the, but it's certainly growing for the ones at the top. So, so okay, a large so, part of that mantra is to ignore the income distribution issues that we've now seen the political consequences of doing so. Right. Well, we'll come back to that distribution question in just a second. But why is it so important that the, pa- that the pie keeps on growing in size? I mean, if we're – and I don't want to talk at length about sustainability because I think it's a great mm. topic for another day. But why can't we just say, well, the pie can stay the same size or maybe grow a little bit? Why – you know, the same number of people producing the same outputs or maybe a little bit more? Why do we have this need to continually see it grow so quickly yeah i think if we if we had a a a less um, unfair distribution of income then we could handle that lower rate of growth right uh so it is it is a case the the distribution issues become absolutely dominant now because we now know from the work that piketty's done and and other uh econometricians have done as well that we are living in one of the most extreme periods of inequality in our history so if we actually had and, and that's causing huge political pressure from those people who've lost out uh, and they've well and really kicked the ballot box in the last few elections in the last few countries around the world. The next two on the list are obviously going to be France and Italy on the same front. But if you have a, a, a stultified economy um, and you have bad distribution as well, it's a double whammy because the cake's not growing all that much, but uh, the people at the top are taking a big and bigger slice of what exists. Right, so, okay, and, that, that, and there's an yeah. argument here, isn't there? There's been around the traps quite a few times, So particularly when you say, hey, look, we've got all these big companies that are now making more money with fewer people. I think there's about 120,000 people working for Microsoft. It's got revenues of $85 billion. Oh. Google's oh. got half the number of people working for it. It makes about $75 billion US dollars. And conventional economic theory says, hey, don't worry about that, Phil. Don't worry about those people because they are... Uh, those people who would have been employed in companies making that amount of money and this is all good because those people are going to go and find work elsewhere they're going to find other productive work and the uh, and the economy is going to grow but of course you know that often they don't find that other work and they uh, they sit on the scrap heap 
Yeah, and that's and that's I mean a global phenomenon as well, not just in America. You've seen the same thing applying um, in Africa and you know, in third world countries, uh, which have been subject to this whole globalization fantasy pushed by the IMF. And Joe Stiglitz wrote a great book about that when he realised just how wrong it was in the actual the theory and the practice were very very different. He wrote a book called Globalization and Its Discontents back in 2000, and he deserves to be applauded for that because he really did point to how much this is based on a myth that the people you displace will find a job elsewhere. Frequently, they don't. Right. And so is that the real reason why productivity is on the slide right now? Because we're just because of this distribution of, uh, of, of jobs and some people are being very productive, clearly, because there's progress being made leaps and bounds in the technology industries. Um, but a, a whole lot of people are just not producing or contributing to, uh, to GDP at all. Well, there's a whole lot of um, reasons as to why, but one of the one of the main ones is we are in a debt crisis right now, a private debt crisis, and what that means is there's so much private debt in the, in the particularly in the in the uh, corporate sector, uh, and that's actually particularly in Europe more so than America. With that level of debt, people aren't willing to stick their neck out and borrow more to invest in new technology, uh, even though it's being invented. Uh, you don't have it being turned into actual product. And consequently, the rate of growth slows down and therefore your rate of productivity looks worse. So um, the, the debt, debt is one particular issue. Another big one which is coming our way is what's called the energy return on energy invested. And this is sitting in the background. We haven't been looking at it um, in any, any serious sense that quite a few engineers have been doing it. And that is that we've been a whole technology uh, for the last two centuries has been based on coal and oil. And coal and oil have enormous what they call energy return on energy invested. If you could go back to the original um, coal mines, which were li- literally you could dig the stuff that was sticking out of the ground, take a pickaxe, uh, hit pickaxe against a lump of brown, uh, black stuff, pick black stuff, walk across to a stove, um, uh, get a few twigs and start a fire, ignite black stuff, you get lots of heat. The amount of energy you put in to get the energy out is is, is, is a huge ratio. Mm. And in the case of oil, I mean, literally you did, you know, the old uh, Beverly Hillbillies thing, fire a gun at a hair and oil's coming out of the ground afterwards. Uh, something like 300 times as much energy back for the energy you put in. Because we've now got to drill offshore uh, oiling rigs in one and a half miles of seawater to reach the bottom before you drill another two miles through the crust to reach where the oil is. Uh, The amount of energy you're putting in versus the energy getting out is dropping. It's still pretty substantial. It's still of the order of something like about 50 to 1. But we're getting, getting more and more extreme. And when we're switching over, we're hoping to switch over to renewable energy, that has a much lower energy return on energy invested right now. So right. you're going from, and there's what's called the energy cliff. Once you get past about a seven to one ratio, you have a drastic dr- drop in how much energy you've got to exploit producing other stuff. And I think that's partly what's also lying in the background of what we're seeing right now, that particular energy transition. So, okay, so we've got a few reasons here why productivity is probably on the slide then. So we've got, uh, we've got that, the fact that, you know, that uh, all the easy stuff's been done in, <laughs> in a way. Effectively. Uh, and we, we've got to work harder now to, uh, to, to make money. Uh, secondly, uh, when, you know, a lot of te- technological shifts are employing fewer people. Uh, and so we're not seeing that distribution uh, spread across the whole community. And so there are people who are unproductive. And I guess the other thing is as well, because uh, the, the economy is not in sound shape there's not a lot of innovation going on right now either so i mean there's there's three factors all coming to play um but i mean they seem insurmountable so is it realistic for politicians to say we need to get productivity back on the increase 
Well, I mean, one of the ones we could actually get moving rather rapidly is reduce the debt burden on corporations and households. Yeah. That's that's a doable. That's, again, the double-entry bookkeeping, uh, you know, uh, shuffle around the, the pieces of green paper, as Douglas Adams used to say, and you'll make the world work better. It is possible to do that, and that would take the debt burden out of the way. Uh, the one about uh, people and jobs, that's really, I think it's a long-term trend with um, the more, because the amount of energy we can turn into output is limited for a human being, but almost unlimited for machinery to develop it over time. Uh, if we then find it harder and harder to get the energy that drives those machines, we've got trouble. That that productivity growth we've got used to can go in the opposite direction. So there are there are some things that when economy when, and uh, when businessmen promise they politicians promise they're going to get the place burning again. Uh, we're at a very unique time in human history where what's enabled us to grow so rapidly from the 1750s on, that exploiting that available energy cheaply, uh, is not is we're going through a really serious transition, and that is that's people who are ignoring talking over climate change versus ignoring it. They're also ignoring this particular issue, which I think actually is going to be possibly even more of a crunch. We need that cheap energy to turn stuff into goods. Mm. And if the cheap energy is becoming more and more expensive in the intensity matter we've got to put in to get it out, then the physical productivity of the entire planet falls. Right. And those goods, uh, which may or may not use more energy, um, I mean, that you know, that we want those to be goods or services. And probably increasingly, um, you know, if, if machines are making all the goods, a lot of it is going to be the service industry. Those people who haven't found productive work, we, there needs to be, and it's got to be some sort of artificial stimulant that's, that's going to, I don't mean something that you smoke, but that means something the government's <laughs> got to, something the government has got to create that's going to give those people, uh, uh, cr- create new industries, whether it's a new form of tourism or a new form of service industry. Maybe we have, maybe we're all going to get, we've got more time on our hands. So maybe we get our hair cut twice as often, or we do go and have a massage four times a week, whatever, whatever it might be. I mean, in theory, you know, all human beings can be used. And if we've all got time on our hands because machines are doing everything, then we're, we're all ready to consume those services. In theory, no one should be left by the wayside. The trouble is you need cash to make that possible. And if you don't have a distribution of, of money, um, that which you know, if it comes out of just the private sector alone, if you need a job to get it, you haven't got a job, right. then you've got serious problems. This is one reason that people are talking about a basic income guarantee right now, simply a a dividend, effectively, that gets paid through I mean, centrally by the government, but everybody gets a minimum living living income. And without that, I mean, if you if you do follow the natural progression of where are we going if we continue getting more and more stuff produced by machines and needing less and less labour to do it, uh, then we are either going to have to see a huge increase in service wages, and that involves political organising power that they simply haven't got. All you've got to go for something like a basic income guarantee. So we're never going to fix this productivity issue that everyone is talking about unless we fix this distribution of wealth issue. I think they're, com- yeah, they're definitely combined. And, and, the, and as well, the, 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 the production one has the issue of just how much free, you know, how much how cheap is the energy we're exploiting in terms of the cost, the cost in energy terms to produce it in the first place. Those are pretty big issues yeah they are aren't they? and look on that sustainability question that is definitely something that we need to talk about uh on a on a future edition of the uh debunking economics podcast for now though steve thank you very much for your time okay mate bye-bye
Uh, next time, we're going to talk about bank collapses. Uh, the uh, We're going to explain the subprime crisis, what happened in 2007 and 2008, and could it all happen again? And uh, particularly, could it all be happening in Italy and where else in the world? That's next time on the Debunking Economics Podcast. I'm Phil Dobby. Thanks for joining us. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.